recognize your presence. Lord, as we study your word, may we focus upon your word and not be distracted and sidetracked. And Lord, may you just work on our hearts. I pray for strength. I pray for guidance and wisdom as we work through the text this evening. We want to glorify your name and we want to grow to love you more. So I pray that you would help us this evening. Help me as I teach for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name and amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 29, we had vacation Bible school last week and we weren't able to be in here, so it's good to get back in Isaiah, and um, we are almost, almost halfway done, not quite, but almost, and I thank you all for being patient as we work through the scriptures. Many people don't like to think about or talk about the judgment of God. Whenever we talk about the judgment of God, it conjures up a lot of things, a lot of negative thoughts. But keep in mind, the judgment of God is always designed to bring people back to himself, back to God. Many people also like to point back to the Old Testament and say, it's not for us. The the Bible says in the New Testament something totally different. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, the Bible says, For whatsoever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of Scripture might have hope. So the Old Testament is very much applicable to us as is the New Testament. It's all the Word of God. So my prayer tonight is that we can learn a valuable lesson to help us, to comfort us, and to give us hope. And I think that if we remain faithful to the text, all three of those outcomes will come true. In verses 1 through 4, we see the pronouncement tonight, the pronouncement. Notice in verse 1, Woe to Ariel, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt. Add year to year, let feasts come around. Yet I will distress Ariel. There shall be heaviness and sorrow, and it shall be to me as Ariel... I will encamp against you all around. I will lay siege against you with a mound. And I will raise siege works against you. You shall be brought down. You shall speak out of the ground. Your speech shall be low out of the dust. Your voice shall be like a medium's out of the ground. And your speech shall whisper out of the dust. The prophecy given to Isaiah to record for us is directed at Ariel in this text. Ariel is the city of Jerusalem. Interestingly enough, I have conflicting uh, opinions as to what Ariel means. Some people think that Ariel means the city of God, and then some others believe that it actually literally means the altar of blood or sacrifice. I cannot tell you exactly what it means, but I can tell you that everyone agrees that it is Jerusalem. We, we do so by, because of historic reasons, and we do so because of Bible reasons. But there's a pronouncement of judgment that is coming against Jerusalem. 
Now, let me be clear that when God says he is going to do something, he does something. So in this pronouncement, judgment is certain. It will happen. God does not issue idle threats. How many of us parents have done that before? If you do that one more time and we don't do what we say we do. God's not that way. I see someone getting elbowed back there. I won't point out any names. God's not that way. When God says he's going to do something, you can rest assured he will do it. God is not a man that he should change. He does not change. Judgment is certain. And also judgment is from God. It is clear that in this text, God himself is going to bring judgment upon Jerusalem. Now, some people think, well, that's kind of bad. It always amazes me, people who do not believe in God expect God to give them all the good but never allow bad in their lives. How many of you heard something like this? Well, if your God is so good, why does he allow children to die? And et cetera, and et cetera, and et cetera. I heard one person say one time, where was God when my son died? And the man responded, the pastor responded, he was in the same place when his son died for your sins. There's so much about God I don't understand. I wished I did. But as we get deeper into Isaiah, we will see the teaching that says God's ways are so much higher than our ways. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. And sometimes we struggle with rectifying that. We struggle with uh, allowing God to do the things he does. As I say that word carefully because you and I can't allow God to do anything. But in our minds, we expect God to think and act like we do. And he doesn't. He's God. And so God pronounces on his city, the regal city, the city of David, Jerusalem, that holy city, he pronounces judgment upon them. Why would he pronounce judgment upon them? We'll get to that in just a moment. But notice in verses 5 through 8, the punishment of the enemies. The punishment. Now it's interesting to me in verses 1 through 4, he pronounces judgment against Jerusalem. And we know at this time Assyria was allowed to invade Jerusalem and they were able to wipe them down to the very ground. But instantly, God does something miraculous. He uses the Assyrian army to come in and to level it and then instantly God turns his punishment to the enemies of Jerusalem. The very people that he used to bring judgment upon Jerusalem, he turns and destroys them. Notice what he says in verse 5. Moreover, the multitude of your foes, your enemies, shall be like fine dust. He's going to render them, he's going to destroy them. And the multitude of the terrible ones, like chaff that passes away, yes, it shall be in an instant, suddenly, you will be punished by the Lord of hosts with thunder and earthquake and great noise, with storm and tempest and the flame of devour, devouring fire. God uses these cosmic occurrences, earthquakes, storm, tempest, 
Verse 7, the multitude of all nations who fight against Ariel, even all who fight against her and her fortress and distress her, shall be as a dream of a night vision. It shall even be as a hungry man dreams, and he looks, he eats, but he awakes, and his soul is still empty. Or as when a thirsty man dreams, and look, he drinks, but he awakes, and indeed he's faint. His soul still craves, so the multitude of all the nations shall be who fight against Mount Zion. So we have the pronouncement of judgment on Jerusalem. Jerusalem is judged in an instant. The punishment comes to those nations, those enemies that came against them. And God says, they will be as dust. And guess what happened? They were as dust. Why did all this happen? Well, verses 9 through 16, we see the problem laid out for us. Verse 9, he says, Paul's and wonder. Why did God judge Jerusalem? Interesting question, right? All throughout Scripture, we are, in, we are told to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, right? And Jerusalem is the regal city. It's God's city. It's the city that we keep our eyes on in prophetic happenings. Why would God judge them? Well, let's read further. Blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with intoxicating drink. Notice this. For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets, and he has covered your heads, namely the seers. Well, first of all, God judged Jerusalem because of the blindness of their leaders. The blindness of their leaders. Listen, they refused to listen to the word of God. I don't know that. Look at verse 11. The whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one who is literate, saying, read this, please. And he says, I can't read it because it's sealed. Someone brings you a book that's sealed and says, read it. And you say, I can't read it. It's sealed to those who could read. To those who could not read, then the book was delivered to one who was illiterate, saying, read this, please. And he says, I'm not literate. The people who were responsible for taking the word of God and delivering it to the people, they were not doing it. Because they were not listening to the word themselves. Not only was there a refusal, refusal to listen to the word of God, but there was ignorance of the word of God. It's like a, a, a blind person. They're drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with intoxicating drink. Why? Because they refuse to receive the word of God, and because they refuse to obey them or listen to the word of God. Notice what he says. The Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep. It was the Lord that caused them to be blind. Why? Because they weren't listening anyways. They, weren't, they were refusing the word of God, which produced a famine of the word of God. The very ones. It's not like in Bible times they could go to their, their, their uh, bookshelf and pull the 
scriptures off the shelf and read it for themselves. The prophet represented God to the people. The priest represented a lot of times the people to God. So the blindness of leaders, it was a problem. And if the leaders are this way, then how will the people be? If they're responsible to give the word of God to the people, but yet they are not, in fact, doing what they're supposed to do, then how will the people be? They will be hypocrites. Notice verse 13. Therefore said the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. And I add this in this foot, a little footnote before I read the rest of that verse. Here's the footnote. And they were even, by fear, taught the commandment of God. They were taught the commandment of men. Out of fear, out of rote, uh, heartless religion, they did the things. And we go back to verse 1, and year by year, and year by year, they came and they offered on the altar of blood these sacrifices, but their hearts were far from God. The hypocrisy of the people is a heartless religion. And may I say to you, church, that we have to be careful in this day and age that we're living that we don't become heartless religion obeyers, I guess. I don't know else how to say it. Let me ask you a question. How important do you think the heart is? How important do you think the heart is in Scripture? And I'm not talking about the cardio that beats in your chest. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the inner man, who you really are, the inside, the soul, your heart the seat of emotions, where you make emotional, rational decisions, where you love, where you really, the inside of you. How important is it? Well, Proverbs 4.23 says this, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. All the issues of life are heart issues. When someone is participating in a sin, that's not the real issue. That's a symptom of the issue. The issue is the heart. That is the main issue. That is the heart. Why? Because the Bible says out of the heart. That's where the issues of life come from. How important is the heart? The important is very, the heart is very important. Matthew chapter 12. In verse 34, the, the Word of God says this. Let me find it here. 12.34. Is that right? Yes. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Have you ever known someone who cuts you in a joking manner? Or says something, they say, oh, I'm just joking, and they really put you down. You know what's really in their heart? They might say it in a jokingly manner, but many a times that's what's in their heart. Um, 
There was a preacher back in the days when they used to put people under with ether. And uh, people were notorious for saying, talking out of their head when they were under ether. This preacher waited for the longest time to have surgery. He was a godly man. And when they pressed him about why he wouldn't have the surgery, and he finally had the surgery, he said, I'm afraid that when I go under ether, I might say something that might dishonor my God. And the doctor looked at him and said, Well, sir, if it's in your heart, it's going to come out. Many of the times when we speak in anger, when we speak in jest, we speak of those things, it's out of the abundance of the heart, the overflow of the heart. That's what the scripture says. You know Romans chapter 10 and verse 10, it says, Man believeth with his heart unto righteousness, salvation. With the heart, man believes. With the heart. Your heart is extremely important. And there's other references we can go to, but for time's sake tonight, I think you see when God looks at the people and says, Listen, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And in the text it says, But have removed their hearts far from me. Hypocrisy is a heartless religion. God wants your heart. God wants your heart. Well, pastor, I cannot sing on Sunday mornings when we sing praise and we worship the Lord. God doesn't ask for your voice. He asks for your heart. God asks for your heart. I remember one year we went to the Cincinnati Reds baseball game. And I was sitting there and I was watching and there was a shortstop. I won't say his name. The ball was hit and he kind of just halfway threw up his glove and didn't make an effort. And I thought, you know, there are a lot of little league teams that would have put him on the bench for that effort because it was a heartless attempt. And there are many people who can put their heart and soul in many things. They have a hobby and they pour their heart and their soul into it. Their careers, they pour their heart and their soul into it. How often do we pour our heart and soul into Christianity? And serving Christ. And we look at this Jerusalem and we say, how could these people do that? How could they say, how could they honor him with their lips? And how could they draw close to him with their mouth and stand and praise the Lord and shout amen and all this stuff? But inside, their heart is decrepit. Hypocrisy is a heartless religion. Revelation 3.20. Lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. It's heartless. I mean, I don't know. I mean, people drink cold coffee now. It's not my thing, but if you like it, okay. I'm all right with that. I like hot coffee. I don't like cold coffee. But warm coffee? <laughs> and you might be one of those people that like it. Okay, I get it. But God said, I wish you were either hot 
or cold. But because you're not hot or you're not cold, I will spew you. It makes me want to vomit. It's a heartless religion. You're not hot. You're not hot for the Lord. Revelation 2.4, the church at Ephesus. A lot of things they did right. They withstood evil. They stood for doctrine. They were good church, but you know what? They left their first love. You can know a thousand verses. You can quote whole chapters of the Bible. And you can be as heartless as someone who doesn't know one verse. It's a danger that we have to guard against. And their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Another translation reads this. And it is actually an accurate translation. Worship is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. God looks at this nation, this city, this place where the faithful remnant are housed. And many of those in the city, they had went to the altar year after year. They took their lamb half the time. Maybe they didn't even take the sacrifice. They may have went there and bought at the temple that we know that in the New Testament, Jesus is mad at the money changers. No thought. We don't have to worry about it. We can get it when we get there. We don't have to plan. We don't have to prepare for the time that we have the sacrifice. Let's just keep the feasts. Let's just keep everybody happy. We look religious. When we get there, we can buy a few turtle doves. We can buy a lamb. We're good to go. No one will ever know, but there's just one problem. God knows everything. Not only... Was he angry at the hypocrisy of the people, but the foolishness of rebellion? Look in verses 15 and 16. Woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord. And their works are in the dark. They say, who sees us and who knows us? Surely you have things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say of him who made it, he, he did not make me? Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? Now, let me just say this. I doubt these people were saying this with their lips but they were saying it with their heart, revealed in their actions. The foolishness of rebellion, thinking that one can hide his or her rebellion from the Lord is utter foolishness. Utter foolishness. Rebellion seeks to hide its plans from God. And do evil in secret. God knows everything. It's one of his attributes. Every thought you and I would ever have, he knows. Which blows my mind because I don't even know my thoughts sometimes. Yet, 
these people, in their arrogance and their foolishness of rebellion, thought that they could do evil and hide it from God. The crux of this, all through the leaders down to the people, to the rebellion, at the heart of the matter was the heart, pun intended. It's the heart. We forget that in Christianity. We think that perhaps if we just do enough, God will be okay with us and give us what we want and what we need. But the very thing God wants from us is our hearts. He doesn't want us rotely viewing worship as rotely keeping a bunch of rules that we don't want to think about. We just do it and feel good about ourselves. That's crazy. He doesn't want us standing in the church shouting and praising God and raising our hands in the flesh and not from our heart. I, I hate when people say, when they give the advice, follow your heart. No, don't do that. Jeremiah says, your heart is deceitfully and desperately wicked. Don't do that. Well, preacher, you know what they mean. I know exactly what they mean. Still don't do it. Don't do it. Set your heart on the things above. Set your affection on things above, Colossians tells us. It's a matter of the heart. And we don't do this much anymore. We set our affection, our heart on the things of this earth. And the Bible tells us that where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. But God in His infinite wisdom and grace gives them a promise. Verse 17. Is it not yet a very little while till Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field? And the fruitful field be esteemed as a forest. Remember whenever we see this next phrase, in that day... Whenever we see that, it's talking about yet future prophetic event. He's talking about the millennial kingdom. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of the book. And the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The humble also shall increase their joy in the Lord. And the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. For the terrible one is brought to nothing. The scornful one is consumed and all who watch for iniquity are cut off. Who make a man an offender by a word or lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate and turn aside the just by empty words, they will be brought to nothing. Therefore, thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall not now be ashamed, nor shall his face now grow pale. But when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they, 
will hallow my name and hallow the Holy One of Jacob and fear the God of Israel. These also who erred in spirit will come to understanding and those who complained will learn doctrine. There's only one time when Jacob, there's only one time when he will be able to look out and say, all of the children of Israel hallow the name of the Holy One. That's in the Millennial Kingdom. So in the midst of this pronouncement of judgment, punishment comes on the enemies of God. He reveals to them the problem and shows them the promise that awaits those whose hearts are in tune with Him. What a lovely picture. Now, I would just say, for a point of application, number one, pray for your leaders. I covet your prayers. Pray for your spiritual leaders. How do we pray for them? I would say, first of all, pray that we would be committed to the Word of God. Many of men that have stood behind the sacred desk of the pulpit who were once very zealous for the Lord, have fallen. And anyone is, anyone is capable of falling and falling hard. Not only should we pray that they would be committed to the Word of God, but that we would be receptive of the Word of God. We have to stop reading our systems of theology into the Word of God. We have to read the Word of God and form our theological systems from the Word of God. What I'm saying is you can't go to the Word of God and make it say what you want to believe and what you've always been taught. You go to the Word of God, I go to the Word of God, and it is the authority. It speaks to us. It tells us what we believe. And that we would be obedient to the Word of God. God's not going to say when we get to heaven, you guys were so, you pastors were so creative, you knew how to have a show, and man, you wowed the people with smoke and mirrors and lights and all that. No. He's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You handled the word of God correctly. James teaches there a stricter condemnation. There's a stricter judgment for those who handle the sacred word of God. Those teachers that teach the Word of God will be accountable for that. Pray for your leaders. Many of you like Bible teachers that, are, that have a huge audience. For example, like David Jeremiah, Dr. Jeremiah. Pray for him. His attacks are greater than ours probably. We don't even know what those men, those godly men go through. Many of you have had spiritual mentors. Maybe you were saved under someone's ministry and they're still ministering the word of God. Pray for them. They need it. Secondly, I would say be genuine Christians. What does that mean? Seek God with all your heart. Seek God with all your heart. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord thy God with everything you have. And love others. Put your heart and soul into it. 
I know I cannot sing. Half the time I'm up here and I start the verse before, I'm so off whatever. I start before Eugene starts and he's learned to overlook me. He used to laugh at me, but he, he just overlooks it. It's okay. Put your heart into it. The Bible says, Whatsoever the hand findeth to do it, do it what? Heartily as unto the Lord. I have sufficient biblical evidence for every believer to understand that he or she must put his or her heart and soul into Christianity and whatever they do for the Lord. If you run the sweeper, be the best sweeper runner. Put your heart and soul in running the sweeper. If you lead worship, you put your heart and soul in leading worship. If you teach, put your heart and soul in teaching. Whatever it is you do for the Lord, do it heartily for Him. Part of being a genuine Christian is not only we seek God with all of our hearts, but we guard our hearts. Why? Because out of the heart flow the issues of life. So we guard our heart. I was sitting down to watch a program, and I, I like that... Um, I like old stuff. I like the when they fought the Crusaders and they fought with swords and stuff. I like that kind of era. And I sat down to watch something on Netflix and soon into it I found out, man, this is not good for my heart. I had to turn it off. I had to turn it off. My flesh wanted to continue to watch it. The scene will be over in just a minute. I can get back to the, oh, the fighting. You know what I mean, men? But... I need to guard my heart. These little things, I don't have my phone. My phone's down there. Guard your heart. You can be very innocent. Scrolling through something, looking through something. Next thing you know, these advertisers, they know exactly what they're doing. They slip something in there. And before you know it, you can be in trouble. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Remember, we used to teach our, our kids, oh, be careful little eyes what you see. There's a father up above looking down on us in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And then be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. It would do us some good to revisit these kids' songs. There was some good, good theology in those songs, wasn't there? Guard your heart. I would say stay close to God and His Word. God says in James, draw nigh. Nigh means near. Draw near unto me, and I'll draw near unto you. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. In this day we live in, we are in a spiritual battle day after day, moment after moment, for our time, for our talent, for our money. Stay close to God and his word. Where you go, He goes. He's in you. His Spirit is in you. What you look at, He looks at. What you say, He hears. He knows. Stay close to Him. Pick up the Word of God. Pick up the Word of God and read the Scriptures. And then lastly, I would say avoid the foolishness of rebellion. May I say, you can ask someone 
And, and the world is full of people who at one time used to even go to church. And they will tell you this. The first time I missed church, it bothered me. But the longer I went and missed, the less it bothered me. It's that way with sin. Any sin. Any sin. The first time, it bothers you, but each successive time that you participate, it gets easier and easier and easier. The famous sermon, everyone's heard it. I don't even know who really preached it at first. It said, sin will take you further than you're willing to go, cost you more than you're willing to pay, and keep you longer than you're willing to stay. So I would encourage you this thought. If God would bring his judgment upon Jerusalem because of their heartless religion, do you think that he will not bring his correcting hand upon us because of our rebellion and our heartless religion? May I encourage you to get alone with God sometime and have a heart checkup, right? If your heart's not beating the right way, you go to the doctor, you go to a cardiologist, and you find out what's going on. Maybe, just maybe, spiritually, we need to be shocked back, back into rhythm. Maybe we just need to pause in all of our activity and say, Lord, Fix my heart. I want to be close to you. I want to walk in your statutes. I want to be right with you. I want my heart to be pure with you. Do you know that the Bible says that the things that were written, I read you earlier about that, but there's another verse that says, that these things that are written in the Old Testament were written for our admonition. They're written for us to learn. We can learn from the children of Israel's mistakes. And I think this is a pretty, pretty important lesson that we need to learn, that we need to get our hearts in tune with the Lord. Okay? Can we pray? Father, we